Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's movies are The Last Starfighter versus Starman and... Oh, oops. It's The Last Starfighter and Starman. My bad. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to TheMidnightDriveIn at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Uh, we get done doing this episode. I have to edit it and then schedule it to post. Because tomorrow I'm getting on a plane and going to Vegas for the weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. And then I'll be gone until Monday. You're going to Vegas on the probably the busiest weekend of the year. Well, it's... I kind of don't envy you. Well, it's my friend's 40th birthday. So he didn't really have the option to pick when he was born. That's what he so said. I. People are always making excuses. <laughs> My birthday's on Monday. Yay. Oh, so Brian will be back for your birthday. Yeah, I'll fly back on Monday just for your birthday. Sweet. And definitely not because I already bought tickets that have me come back on Monday. All right. For my birthday, we're going to go eat meat and play video games. Oh, that's right. It's the next weekend. Sounds pretty good, actually. Yeah, Brazilian Steakhouse and uh, the Galloping Ghost. Mm-hmm. So is Shar uh, coming to this event? Yeah. Right. I think I need to remind Amanda that we were going to this. I get to see there. I haven't been back since they opened up the pinball room. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know I like me some pinball. Yeah, I, there's not like a ton in there, but from what I remember. Yeah. We'll the, the one in McLean, he's got 40-something machines, I think. Nice. <sighs> hmm. Yeah, because Banda is probably not a big Gallop and Ghost person, but uh, I'm sure she can go shop at Ikea or some bullshit. I don't know. I'd be... <laughs> Sure, it's not a huge arcade person either, but I think mm-hmm. arcades, even if you're not super into arcades, as long as you're there with a bunch of people, it's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. If you were just going with, like, like if Char was just going with me, she would probably pour in fucking tears. I'm wandering <laughs> around being like, I'm going to play Golden Axe for the next four and a half hours. <laughs> uh, I imagine is- that's, that's what a date like with you is. This is Smash TV. I'm really bad at it, but I'm going to play it for a really long time. (laughs) (laughs) 
Some people have a different idea of what fun is. I was gonna say usually I'm I'm actually a pretty good date because usually dates with me are like going somewhere with really good food and then trying to find something interesting to do. Well, dates with Noah with past girlfriend experiences are I'm not gonna do what I really wanna do and we're gonna go do some dumb bullshit that you wanna do instead. That's that's also true. I had a lot of really bad relationships. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I'm so, I'm so lucky that Char's not awful to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to go to this film festival for like an hour, and then we got to leave to go see, what was that, fucking ballet? Yeah. Oh, no. And I was like, that's a horrible idea. That, that just doesn't even remotely sound like a good idea. <laughs> she, I don't think I ever took her a single place that she didn't have, like, a million things to bitch about it which i mean that's just unfathomable to me. like especially because a lot of the places we went are awesome places and that's why noah's not married now but i'd be like do you want to go to a steakhouse yeah let's go to a steakhouse then we get to the steakhouse she'd be like everything on this menu is steak <laughs> 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 That is why they call it that. Yeah, that was that was why we came here. How <laughs> was could, that a negative? I don't understand. You could have just said no, I don't want steak, and we could have went somewhere else. Ah uh, Good old date Noah. Good times. But she's dead now. What? Not <laughs> literally, right? It's just wishful thinking, I think. I, I, to me, she is. <laughs> well, I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't sound fun, but she doesn't sound as bad as the one that just woke up and she was sitting on your bed with a knife type thing. Well. When she didn't sleep over. That's true. That was worse. And didn't have a key. She didn't have a key. How did she get in my apartment? <laughs> Well, presumably the detectives can explain that to you by the end of, <laughs> the end of this story. My, tw- my 20s were rough. <laughs> it was a rough time. Uh, see, Doug, I know his old podcast. He used to tell all these stories. Stalked me for three and a half years. You don't seem like you're worth stalking for three and a half years. <laughs> That's what I would said. <laughs> He's like, you just wasted a bunch of your time because I'm definitely not worth it. It was one of those things, too. It was really funny at first. And then, like, it was funny right up until the point where I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to fucking murder me. <laughs> This is a serious thing. I thought it was just like a ha ha, she's she's crazy kind of situation. But it, no, it's a oh, she's crazy kind of situation. Yeah, but that's still funny to everybody else. So you, don't, you don't have to be so self centered about it. I, I <laughs> you get murdered. We all have a great story. I would I would say it's funny now. Even back then, my friends were like, "Okay, well, this is out of hand." <laughs> like they're gonna find me cut up in her freezer. Yeah, like it three won- years after I disappeared. 
So I was li- living in, a, they call it collegiate housing. It's like uh, dorms without dorms. They basically jam you into a two-person apartment with five other people and charge you way too much rent. And when this was all going on, I did this whole thing where I had them switch me and no one knew, not a single person other than like two of my really close friends that I know for a fact wouldn't have told this person where I was moving to. I had them switch me to a different building in another suburb of Minneapolis. And the day I moved in, got all moved in, one of my friends came over, walked in the door and said, she is in the fucking parking lot. And I was like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> this is really bad. <laughs> She's everywhere. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Well, Noah, maybe we should rewind <laughs> past your 20s to a happier time. I don't know. This is going pretty good for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get him started. He's got plenty of stories. <laughs> Hit me in the face. <laughs> that one. <laughs> that one may be the craziest story I've ever. <laughs> Not NSFW. You're right. Let's rewind past this. <laughs> Maybe Noah will tell you when the show's over. <laughs> Uh, um, so we decided to pick two movies from coincidentally 1984, yeah. uh, which was purely on accident. Yeah, emphasis on coincidentally. We're never that organized, and it's like it seems to happen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, realistically, we were just like, we should do Last Starfighter, and what else should we do? And we decided, well, I mean, Starman's got star in the title, so oh, maybe that'll work. Well, they were like young adult films involving space. They both are ostensibly children's films, except for one creepy ass transformation scene that makes them really inappropriate for kids. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, They're both ripoffs of very famous movies that came out slightly before them. <laughs> True. <laughs> They're both uh, kind of related back to Halloween, 1978. That's also true. So there's a lot of connections between these films. <laughs> well, Doug, why don't you tell us about The Last Starfighter? Uh, Last Starfighter is about a guy named Alex Rogan, who is uh, lives in a small trailer park and is eager to move on and do something or with his life, uh, but he finds himself being held back in various ways. The, the uh, Starlight Starbright trailer park. Starlight Starbright. <laughs> heavy handed at all. And uh, yeah, so he finds himself constantly being held back. Um, basically, it's, you know, he gets denied for his loans for college and everything. Uh, he kills his time by playing the video game Starfighter, which is the only video game at the Starlight Starbright Trailer Park General Store. Um, and it's actually the same night that he is having problems with his girlfriend and finds out he's not able to go away to college. Everything is uh, made right by the fact that he beats the world record in the video game 
much to his own pleasure and the pleasure of the entire park who gathers to watch. <laughs> um, soon thereafter, it's revealed that the game was not actually a game. It was a test, and he is picked up by uh, a creepy, weird old salesman-looking guy in a wannabe DeLorean who flies him to another uh, planet named Rylos and explains that since he won the video game, he gets to go fight in a real war and that the video game is ostensibly a simulator. Uh, Not much of a prize, really. It's a little bit unique as far as prizes go, but it's considered an honor to become a starfighter, so everyone there is shocked when he initially tries to turn it down. Uh, But upon returning to Earth, he's attacked by an alien that has been sent to kill him, and it injures the... uh, it injures the robot that has replaced him and Beta. so he re- that's when he realizes he's really doesn't have much choice he's gonna have to go fight in this war in order to avoid being assassinated back home while he's down all the other starfighters are wiped out making him the last starfighter but luckily he's so good at being a starfighter that it doesn't matter he's able to destroy Zur and the entire Conan Armada through his clever thinking and his skills and the use of a brand new weapon that was not part of the original video game. Yeah, yeah, and a perfect and a perfect super weapon. Yeah, which that requires no skill to use. Yeah, but I mean, he is ostensibly it's his plan that puts him in a position to be able to use the weapon, so that otherwise he wouldn't have even been able to do that. So it's a combination of the technology that he's provided and his own clever individual thinking skills that enable him to save the day. So, so this is the first time watch for me. Okay. Uh, I will say up front, I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, it was great. I should hope so, because if, if, you, if you said anything else, I was going to lose it. I was a little worried that Brian was going to be like, I didn't really like it. And I was going to be like, no, Brian! <laughs> I would be so jealous of Noah because he's closer to you right now and could get to your house and punch you for saying that faster. <laughs> Noah just signs off. We're like, where did Noah go? Well, I guess we'll keep going. Everybody just loves as, the last Just as the life. show ends, he comes bursting in the door, punches me in the face. There are only two types of people in the world. People that love The Last Starfighter and people that have not yet seen The Last Starfighter. <laughs> um, so was his... Like I'm trying to understand their situation. So, did him and his mom like work in like the office at the trailer park? Yes. I mean, it's 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 honestly it's not explained very well in the movie, and I think it's because people this type of situation was more common in films back then. Mm-hmm. So I think people were just assumed to have this knowledge. But yeah, like he his mom was like the manager, the the superintendent of the trailer park, and he sort of just naturally recruited to help her because yeah i mean obviously she doesn't own the trailer park or he wouldn't be having so much trouble going away to college i assume people mm-hmm. who own trailer parks are doing quite well um but yeah he's so he's stuck doing all the like grunt work around while she's off working her day job in order to make ends meet okay so that's what i thought i'm like well it seems like she works at a diner but maybe she is in charge of this trailer park like a that's the, about the only thing I wasn't sure of. Yeah, like I know I've I've seen superintendent jobs in like newspaper ads, and sometimes all it is is like you're in charge of helping out around here, and you get to live here for free, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine trying to raise like 
two teenage kids on a waitress's income, just getting a free place to stay is about all that she could reasonably expect. She'd still be struggling, right? Yeah. And it seems like even though they call it a trailer park, I don't think it actually is a trailer park. It seems more like it's a uh, campground that has some permanent residents. That makes sense because they have no. a lot of uh, mobile, not yeah. you know, like fifth willy type things rather than actual. But I think like the the sort of the worst. Um, I'm gonna put it: the worst trailer parks out there are the ones that are that people would really, really not want to live in. They do live in the types of trailers that other people vacation in. That's true. Um, so I think that's they were trying to make it look as poor as possible. I was gonna say I've also I've also lived in uh, trailer parks and stayed in campgroundy type places. And judging by the fact that they all like each other and know each other by name, I assume it's a campground where the people are temporary. Because in an actual trailer park, nobody gives a fuck about their neighbor. You, because you live in a trailer park, you don't want your filthy trailer neighbors talking to you. <laughs> They're trailer people, <laughs> not like you. You think you're I would only let them there, talk to me? You're only there <laughs> temporarily. It is a temporary situation. I'm slumming it. The rest of these people are horrible. Yeah. Um, so I did find it interesting the uh, sort of the special effects for this movie. The fact that they're using CGI in 1986 or yeah, 84, that, is it? Yeah, 84. That kind of floored me. It is like, it, it's this holds the record as being like the most, like the first major movie to rely heavily on CGI. And some of it is absolutely terrible. There are scenes that hold up decently well. Mm-hmm. There are scenes that in this movie that are every bit as good as like a 2017 Asylum movie that uses CGI. You know, not obviously not a Marvel movie using CGI, but you know a really low budget movie today using CGI is not much better than the best CGI in this movie, and that's fascinating to me. I was surprised how well it held up when I watched it, because in my mind, I always when I think of the CGI in this movie, I always think about the big spaceship scenes that do look pretty cheesy. <laughs> I think part of the magic of it is the idea that they, uh, um, the idea that the the world was simulating the game, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So, if you've played a lot of those old school early. Uh, like not not exactly asteroids, but like X-wing fighter. And... I don't know. Do you know a couple other ones? Uh, no. There's no, like, I I couldn't name one lot of eighties video games, but yeah, Star Runner and stuff like that. There were the machine ones where they they did have most of them had unique control sets, kind of like that one does, where you know it's instead of A B and a joystick, it's like two joysticks and various buttons, that kind of stuff, and and. The graphics were very similar to what was presented in the movie, and what's and what's presented as real life in the movie is just slightly upgraded from that. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing I thought was kind of cool is that yeah, so he's training on this video game, and then when he gets there, it's like oh, well, this all looks almost exactly like the video game. And so I thought that was kind of interesting the, the juxtaposition of them sending a simulator that looks to them what like looks like to them what real life is 
Yeah. It's kind of a neat idea. It's funny because in, like in 1984, that's like a fun kids movie idea. I feel like today it would be like the dark version of this movie would be a kids at home playing his like PlayStation or whatever. And then they find out that he's actually killing people because it's controlling a drone ship or something. Mm-hmm. So you mean like, game? I haven't seen that one. Spoiler alert. You never read that book? Jesus Christ. I've never read the book either. I wasn't even really referring to the movie. I was referring to the book. That book's been around forever. And it's a really good book. Yeah, I never got around to it. And then I found out he was a horrible human being, the writer. So I just... Well, that's... That's cross off my list. That's, that's a tangent on a tangent. We're talking about how awesome <laughs> Uh, I do feel like this is like that movie though. Like if I like I really enjoyed it. If I would have saw this as a kid, I would have loved it. It would still continue to love it. Um But it's like that movie, like I think I sent a text like, oh man, this would have maybe teamed up better with like Flight of the Navigator, I think. Yeah. I mean this this is a child's dream movie, right? This yeah. is I mean, you you get selected out of everybody to go far off, you know, like go to another planet and help them win a war or whatever. Like that's yeah. like prime, like ten year old imagination, especially from the eighties. I was gonna say the only problem with Flight of the Navigator is the last time I reviewed it with the podcast. It's hard to fucking get. Mm-hmm. Like that's not an easy movie to come by anymore. Well, I own it on Voodoo. Yeah, and, and I, I bought it. I bought it like six months ago because I'm like, oh, we're going to be doing this on the show, and it's on sale. So, I think a few years ago they did a re-release of it, and so I think it might be a little easier now. But like eight, eight or nine years ago when we reviewed it, I was like, what in the fuck? Why can I not find this? I can't find this fucking movie anywhere. Couldn't steal it. I couldn't rent it. I couldn't buy it. <laughs> Um, so since you guys have seen it before, what are, what are some of your favorite scenes to revisit in this movie? I mean, I, I really, I really love everything about the movie, but obviously the most fun to be had is when Alex is in outer space. I love the first time he's walking through that, uh, like the flight area and he accidentally steps on that alien's like tentacle or whatever. <laughs> and you see all the different aliens around, um, I really like his interactions with Greg, who's his navigator. Mm. Like, I, I think that that they do a really good job. I mean, Nick Castle is a really good directing job in this movie. I think, and mm. he does shorthand really well. And I think they just get these few moments of having these characters together. They really develop relationships very quickly. So I feel like they're friends by the time they're in battle together, even though they've been only been together a short time. And so there's like the scenes that are like meant to be funny but also informative where they're exchanging family pictures and whatever and greg has like you know six thousand kids or something because he's some weird (laughs) alien that lives underground (laughs) and his wife is just just looks like him in a dress (laughs) and it's like i really get a kick out of those moments i really feel that the the humor works but also the character moments work (laughs) yeah uh i guess one of the interesting things yeah this is directed by nick castle who in our circles is famous for being the very first Michael Myers, the first Halloween movie. Yeah. And then went on to become a director. And then uh, our main character in this plays, uh, I guess, 
sort of what you would call the love interest in Halloween 2. Yep. He's like the EMT that was sort of trying to keep an eye on Laurie Strode throughout the night. Yeah, so I don't know if they if there's a connection directly there, if they work together on Halloween 2 at any point or not. I'm not sure, but it feels like it can't be a coincidence. This this is a weird thing, but I've always thought Alex's character is the family-friendly version of Michael from The Lost Boys from some reason. <laughs> like, yeah. like they're two similar looking guys with you know similar like yeah you know I'm, I just I'm just want to have fun and hang out with everybody. I just want to get out of here. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I can kind of see that. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, this was a, a trope in the '80s. You bring up Lost Boys; it's an easy example. You've got every, every kid is like living this living out this fantasy. They want to be the guy that goes fights the vampires. They want to be the guy that goes into outer space and takes on the aliens or whatever. And there, very often it was done in this way where it's like, there's a younger kid. That's who our audience is like, uh, going to, going to be like able to relate to directly. And then there's like his older brother who every little kid in the eighties, their older brother was like their hero. Right. So he's the one that actually goes off and does these things. And it's, it's, a weird 80s trope that I don't, I don't know if it still would make sense to kids today as much, but it's always this little boy watching his older brother save the world. And I mean, in all honesty, I had an older brother in the 80s, and I probably, but if I was going to pick one person to save the world from aliens, I would have just assumed it was him that was capable of doing it when I was, you know, six years old when this movie came out. Yeah, I was the oldest, so. Oh. So there's a lot of pressure on you to fight yeah. off all the aliens then. Yeah. Little brothers and sisters going, get out there, do something about this. My older brother, unless he was going to save the world by like banging his way through the entire alien species. That'd be the most fun way to do it. Probably not the best way to save the world. Uh, I'm, not sure. I'm not saying my brother was competent. I'm saying six-year-old me just assumed he was. Uh, I did like when I posted that I was watching this. I got multiple people that responded with, Lewis, go to bed, or I'm going to tell mom about your Playboy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How fun is that scene where Beta's in bed and he tells him, to, and they both, like both Beta and Alex, and tell Lewis to go to bed? And he's so confused, that poor kid. <laughs> then he wakes up later and his brother's head is on the desk. Dream. Go to bed. That's so good. Uh, what about you, Noah? What are some of your favorite scenes? Uh, I, well, I like all the scenes, but I think my favorite... All. Yeah, uh, all, all. I celebrate all uh, his entire catalog. But I, my favorite part of the entire movie is the, uh, the personalities of all the random characters. Because something about it, like, like Centauri being this kind of weird... 1950s used car salesman. <laughs> yep. And then his navigator is like a weird British fighter pilot, I guess. Like, yeah, his, that's fair. Ah, bully. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> One of my favorite lines of dialogue has always been when uh, they first, when he first says he doesn't want, like Alex says, I don't want to be a starfighter. And Greg just goes, this is highly irregular. And I'm like, that is such a funny thing for an alien to say. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much. And then, you know, you've got the little brother who's basically a uh, Corey Feldman stand-in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
He reminded me most of Corey Feldman from uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Four. That's that was the Corey Feldman I felt he was channeling. I can see that. And for the fact that this is uh, the the time frame that this movie came out, which usually is filled with horrible insensitivity and uh, bad gender relations, I think the only thing you can kind of shake a stick at is the fact that the girlfriend character is literally a bookmark. Like, she's just there to be there, to be the girlfriend. Uh, She's concerned about her grandma. Yeah, there's a, there's a little that, plot that, line there. That's literally it. No, but I would say that it adds to the Alex character, right? Because he's so eager to leave. And he one of the things that's holding him back is that he won't leave without her. And she doesn't want to leave her grandmother. So that she, that's an interesting dynamic there, where she is important enough to our main character that he's well kind of hesitant to live out his dreams just because he doesn't want to be away from her. And I think that, that plot point is perfectly fine. All I'm saying is, in a movie filled with these great big characters, uh, she is not. I mean, I guess, yeah, she's a more subdued character. Mm. Just bitch slap him because, <laughs> because of whatever Beta said to her off screen. <laughs> Your weird yeah. sexual desires. I do think that by teenage girl standards in 80s movies, she's a reasonably strong character. She thinks for herself. She stands up for herself. She doesn't get raped. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, that's kind of a huge accomplishment for a woman in a movie at this point. There is the creepy guy in the truck that, like, drives her home. But... Yeah, I thought her interactions with uh, Beta while they were out at the beach, I thought was pretty good. Or he's trying to figure out what what the way humans act, and he, he's just literally repeating what the other creepy guy says, which turns out to be the completely wrong move. Yeah, it turns out that other guy does some things that you don't want to be held accountable for. <laughs> it is funny. I do feel like Beta and then the character in Starman that we're going to be talking about uh, come off very similar. Where yeah. they're trying to like look at humankind and see how they're supposed to act and try to blend in a little bit, and then sometimes failing miserably. Yep, yeah. that's that's not unreasonable. And both times it's played up predominantly for humor, which I think it works pretty well. That sort of fish out of water tale in the most literal sense possible. <laughs> where it's just an alien being trying to figure out how to act amongst humans. Uh, and you you mentioned. Uh, the car earlier, which I like to think of as the Vinglorian. <laughs> now, this movie came out before Back to the Future, though. Oh, so shit. They, they put a car that looks like that in this movie, not knowing that Back to the Future was going to popularize the DeLorean in crowds. That's awesome. Do you do you think that means that uh, Back to the Future ripped this car off? They were like, that looks like a DeLorean. Oh, shit, we could use a DeLorean. <laughs> I kind of do think that. I think it's interesting because people talk about The Last Starfighter. They're going to talk about how it's a Star Wars ripoff. And okay, there are some similarities, such as the entire plot and all of the characters. But then you turn around and you look at it and you go, yeah, but that whole plot of like you take out the main ship and that somehow disables all of the the other ships that are around and, 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 and prevents them from working together, 
Star Wars kind of uses that in episode one, which came out like 15 years after this movie. So it's like this movie only exists because of Star Wars, but then they stole plot lines from this movie to reuse. And the idea that movies that came out after it use things from this movie, I don't think is a coincidence because this is a very popular movie amongst geeks. Hmm. Independence Day also stole that. Yep. Sounds of bitches. I mean, it, it became a trope in in uh, science fiction movies that you take out the mothership and that disables all the other ships. I don't remember an earlier one than 1984 off the top of my head. I don't know if you guys do. No. Certainly, I don't think it was a trope before that. I'm kind of surprised that in, in the modern era of remakes of things, I'm surprised that this movie hasn't got a remake. It's been announced like three different times. And it Has it? Getting, yeah, they keep saying they're going to remake it. At one point, they were going to do a sequel to it. Ooh, uh, I I stopped following along with all that stuff because I kept getting my hopes up because I actually do think a remake of this movie could work. Um, I think it's one of those movies where like this movie is always going to stand there on its own, but you could sort of do a, a remake or a reboot of some kind that would just stand beside it, and you know obviously you'd have better special effects and you could bring in some different characters and things like that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, a, a sequel would be interesting enough if you just had. I don't know what Lance Guest is up to these days, but you could probably have him play like an older version of Alex coming back to Earth to recruit another starfighter or more starfighters. Brian, is Brian Blessed still alive? Because he needs to be a uh, navigator guy. <laughs> he needs to be navigator guy? Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Rick? Integral character whose name I refuse to remember. I can't remember any of the characters' names, except for Centauri, but just because I always thought that was a really cool name. Do you think it's a coincidence that Centauri invents a video game and Atari is the actual people that invented video games that were probably I don't, the rest of the time? I don't think that that's a coincidence in the slightest. It's clearly not. I just like to bring it up. <laughs> God, I love this movie. Uh, it was very enjoyable for my very first time watching it. It's very much, uh, I sort of got that nostalgic feeling of like, oh, that's right. Like, this is. This is the type of movies I loved as a kid that I would have rented this and watched it and just loved it like every second. Probably watch it like 20 billion times. Yeah. And the nice thing is, I think this one, unlike a lot of uh, 80s and 90s movies now, you can uh, show to a young child because with the exception of a few uh, shits thrown in throughout the movie... It's it's very child appropriate, other than one freaky scene. And once again, I think children should be afraid. So, <laughs> no, I, I definitely I know a lot of people who have shown this movie to their kids, and it I think kids will really very much enjoy it because kid like any any minor flaws that exist in this movie are there because it's a kids movie, and you're not supposed to ask those kinds of questions. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I listened to, to one podcast review of this movie a while back, and they complained because in the '80s, video games weren't uh, connected to a system. So how would anybody know if you broke the record unless they came by and checked the game physically or something? And I just started yelling at my headphones when I heard that because I'm like, "You're not supposed to ask that question in this, stupid, you know what I mean? In this movie, it's a magic video game that that guy invented. They keep track of it. Shut up." And it's, I think, like, you know, the next, would, the next time somebody says that, tell them that there is actually, uh, and has been since the invention of video games, Twin Galaxies, the, uh, they're like the, uh, 
overboard of that kind of thing. They kind of act as Guinness Book of World Record that verify and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but they can't. They don't monitor the games electronically and know right away when you break a record. They do not. And nor could they. And that's it's incorrect that the technology of the time didn't allow for that. It's incorrect to ask that question. In this well, movie. your other argument is it comes from outer space. Yeah. So we don't know what kind of technology is inside that cabinet. And I don't, I don't think they ever say that he broke the world record. They just say he broke the record on the machine, which would be the high score. Well, he's the only Earthling to ever be selected as a starfighter, right? So it must be the world record. There are other starfighter machines out there as well, though. It's hinted at that. that yeah, but is... typically the, the high scores are preset in the machine when they're released. Okay. And then somebody has to knock it off. That just means nobody's ever actually breached the number one spot. Hey, Noah. You, you remember what Doug was just talking about where you're not supposed to ask those questions? I, I'm just saying all those questions have answers. <laughs> <laughs> I really like arcade games. Yeah, I was going to have you review this one, but then you said you didn't get a chance to watch it before we started recording. I've watched it 30 or 40 times. <laughs> Which I felt was fair enough. So, you've skipped punishment this time. I didn't agree to skip punishment. <laughs> I thought we were still putting together the list of movies for punishment. <laughs> okay, I, I accept being shamed. <laughs> this is the first time. I, I will say, in all my years of podcasting, this is the first time I've ever not got the thing we were reviewing watched. Which upsets me. <laughs> Don't do one of those half-assed Me Too apologies where you say you didn't really mean it. You no, movie, you I'm saying it's disappointing and soul-crushing, and not only should you guys be disappointed in me, I'm disappointed in you. Oh, that's good. You think about that during Jamie Kennedy month. Oh, God. <laughs> I threw up a little in my mouth. <sighs> well, let's move on. We followed that up with John Carpenter's Starman. There's a star man waiting in the sky. <laughs> How did they not put that song on? Because uh, it probably cost like a billion dollars. Yeah. Good point. Um, so this is uh, John Carpenter's uh, follow-up, even though I guess the, he did Christine between them, but his uh, alien movie follow-up from The Thing that did not go so well for him in 1982 uh so he decided well let's do something completely opposite and do a love story with an alien in it instead of an alien taking everybody over and killing people uh <clears throat> so in this movie they show uh earth sending out voyager 2 which famously has that gold record with instructions on how to get to earth and like all that other nonsense on it and basically invites pe aliens hey, come visit us. And so an alien's like, oh, okay, cool, I'll come visit. And of course, when he enters Earth's atmosphere, the first thing everybody tries to do is blow him up with missiles because... Excuse me, excuse me the first thing everybody tries to do? First thing the U.S. government does. The rest okay. of us didn't shoot at him. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, the first thing the U.S. government tries to do is shoot him down with missiles because, yeah, fuck that bullshit. Uh... So he crashes, uh, then uh, 
uh, sort of crashes outside of this cabin where Karen Allen is hanging out, mourning her dead husband. And the alien comes in, represented as a ball of energy, sees a photo album, is able to actually find locks of her dead husband's baby hair, and then uh, sort of is able to use that to grow a human body in a very fucked up sort of scene. (laughs) Very nightmarish kind of way. For people who haven't seen the movie uh, in a while, like grow the human body from nothing on camera the whole time. (laughs) It starts at nothing, gradually becomes a baby, up into a boy, up into Jeff Bridges over the course of several minutes of actual screen time. It's like it's like the Hellraiser uh, Frank coming out of the floorboards with no blood. It, it is yeah. sort of like that, yeah. It's sort of like that mixed with like the werewolf transformation from American Werewolf in London. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> it's really just John Carpenter going, you guys remember who you hired to do this, right? <laughs> I'll tell your love story. Give me a minute. Uh... So he sends an emergency transmission that he needs to be picked up to his people and it's going to take them three days to arrive and he has to get to Arizona. Takes uh, Karen Allen with him, who is distraught because, of course, this alien looks just like her dead husband. And uh, so they sort of have to find a way to get along with each other, to learn, to love, to laugh. And then, uh, of course, they're being chased by the evil united states government the entire time who want to capture this alien and dissect him and all that other good stuff that human nature does uh so what did everybody think has anybody seen us in a while like this is the first time i watched i think since i was a kid i think i've only ever seen bits and pieces of it oh i've watched it lots and lots of times i think i revisited it for the first time when we did the horror, etc., John Carpenter retrospective, oh, nice. and then I just was like, it was one of those like, wow, that is amazing, <laughs> and I just started watching it always since then. Like it's a pretty regular watch for me. Mm. That's kind of how I was. Like I, I had seen a long time. I remember enjoying it when I was younger, but I was completely floored at how how much I loved this movie on this rewatch. It's. It's, it's all. It's really all about the performance from Jeff Bridges. That's. Yeah. I was. I was getting ready to say. I think whenever I saw bits and pieces of it younger, I don't think I understood exactly how fucking fantastic his acting was in this yes. movie. It is just. It's, I think I've made the comparison before. It's like he creates, you know, the lovable alien character, like an R two D two type character or an E T type character. But he's a human being, and he's able to create that character on screen, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. He's able to create that sort of, like, he, he does not act like a human being through much of this movie. <laughs> and as he gradually becomes more and more human, he becomes a little bit more relatable. But I don't know. There's something about the way he, he behaves and those little mannerisms and the way he looks. Like, that one point when she's teaching him what a little bit means, and she's showing him with her fingers, and he just keeps looking at his own fingers, trying to understand it, and you're like, that's fascinating. Yeah. And there's a moment in the movie, it's pretty early on, but, like, she's petrified of him. She feels like she's being kidnapped, and she keeps 
trying to ask him questions and he keeps answering and all this and find the one point he, he finally like he looks at her and he's like i like jack so you won't be a little bit jumpy and it's like you realize in that moment you're like oh he's been trying to figure out this whole time how to tell her that he's a friend he's this whole time he's been trying to learn enough english to explain to her he doesn't want to hurt her and he hasn't been able to do that until now mm-hmm. and it's like as an audience member and if, if it's your first time watching it you might not understand that he's a good guy at this point because it is pretty early on and we have had that horrific <laughs> transformation sequence to like let us know and it is the whole idea of taking over somebody else's body is sort of inherently full sounding but mm-hmm. then he just lets you know with those, those little moments he just lets you know no i'm just a friendly guy here <laughs> you guys shot me down i was just passing by <laughs> Yeah. you know um, and I, I just I love it he's such a lovable character he's and it's, mm. it's maybe the best acting performances ever like it's it's it belongs in that discussion yeah he got nominated for an Oscar for it so I'm not surprised whatsoever yeah the yeah. best uh, comparison I've heard of it actually came today from Char because when we reviewed Bronx Warriors, I forced forced her to watch Bronx Warriors, and she goes, "He moves like that guy from Bronx Warriors that doesn't move like a human." <laughs> yeah, except it's appropriate for this role. <laughs> that's, that's what I was like. I was like, "That's true," and I love you so much more now. <laughs> yeah, it's not surprising. He took his cues from studying birds. Oh yeah, I see that. figured that uh, with a being who is brand new to like a human body, that it would revert to like a very primitive sort of approach to everything. Yeah. So, yeah, especially at the beginning of the movie, the way like he'd move in one direction and like his neck would go the wrong way. Yeah. If that makes sense, I don't know. Weird little twitches like that. It was that, and there's every now and again when he was walking, it's like he forgot to bend his knee. Like, I don't know if you guys picked up on that one. It was like, it's weird. Because it wasn't every step that he didn't bend his knee. It was just sometimes. It was almost like because he was having to think about doing these actions. And if he was distracted, he would forget to do a normal part of his movement. Yeah. So what did you think, Noah? Since I guess this is sort of a technical first watch for you. Uh, I really liked it. I thought it was a little bit too long. Because a lot of the middle of it is that uh, really played out stereotypical of, you know, them going from, oh, my God, he's going to kill me to, oh, no, he's sweet and I love him. And I think that 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 story's been told a million times and you don't need this length of a movie to tell that story. But that's my only complaint. I I would push back on that, though, and say if they shortened up this movie if somebody were to you know have edited it down i think the counter complaint would be oh it feels like they come together too quickly i think you do need that time in the middle of the film to have her go from being so frightened of him to falling for him and to have him go from not understanding what's going on to wanting to be with her i think you need you need that to play out over a longer period of time and it wouldn't work if it was shorter I would agree with that. Sweet, two to one. No, it's wrong. <laughs> I'm saying that, that's a pretty basic complaint. Like I said, I just think it's for, for what it is, I feel like it's a lot. 
I, I guess and, that doesn't make it a bad movie. No, no, I, I understand what you're saying, and I just I, I love Jeff Bridges' performance so much that I think I could just watch seven hours of it if I wanted to. It wouldn't bother me in the least. Yeah, I was gonna say from my perspective, I I knew going in it was almost like it's like seven minutes shy of two hours, but watching it, I did not feel like it was two hours at all. Yeah, like I didn't realize when I was watching it this time. I I forgot the exact length of it, and when it was over, because I was watching it pretty late at night, I just I'm like, oh, I'm up later than I should be, but I didn't realize <laughs> that. I was just it was just one of those like, oh, it's, I thought I was putting in like an eighty minute movie, and I got a two hour movie, and I didn't know until it was done, kind of thing. Yeah, I would say the part I would cut out is the part from where they get into the uh, the blue truck whenever they get past the blockade. Yeah. Uh, all the way through riding the train. I feel like all of that, other than the whenever he reveals that he's put his magic space baby in her. <laughs> I put my baby in you. <laughs> but He'll be a teacher. And he will have adult knowledge when he's born. Near him. Uh uh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it is revealed that she is unable to have children and that her and her husband were very sad about that. And he, he basically tells her, like, well, I gave you a baby and since I have the DNA your husband, it's pretty much his baby but it's also sort of my baby too, so... <laughs> and then gives her that, if you're not okay with this, I can just I can just stop this right now from happening. I'm just saying, I think if you take this movie, you know, there's there's all the jokes about movies that have way freakier endings if you go past the credits. In this one, I'm imagining this movie has the exact same ending as the movie Demon Seed from the 70s. <laughs> like, like, she has this horrible space robo baby erupt from her womb. See, here's the thing, though. You're presuming that you need to guess what the ending is. You're forgetting that there's a TV show that's right. 15 years after this movie where we see that the baby was born and raised pretty well. And when the alien, played by Jeff, no longer played by Jeff Bridges, returns, his son has to show him around Earth and teach him to be human. Mm-hmm. So there is a well-adjusted teenage boy <laughs> version of this baby that exists. Well, let's not call him well-adjusted. Is the mother still alive? She's, she's gone missing at the beginning of the TV yes. show, and that's one of the reasons I think the alien returns is to help. Yes. Do, do you know why she went missing? Because um, the horrible mutant space baby ripped out of her womb, <laughs> killing her. She went missing because it was the eighties, and everybody needed every movie reveal. <laughs> every show back then just needed any excuse for the main characters to travel town to town looking for something so they could get into adventures. Yeah, yeah Robert Hayes of. Uh, Air, airplane fame played the alien this time yeah and uh yeah it's him coming to find his 14 year old son and them uh incredible hulking it where they just go town to town seeing if they can figure out what happened to <laughs> to karen allen's character and then helping people along the way of course yeah i'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest that show sounds really bad i what that i sounds like a bad show when i was a kid i loved it as as did I. I. Seen it, I have not seen it since. I Probably. was planning to try and watch episodes of it before we recorded this, but I didn't get around to them. Yeah. So I haven't watched it. I'm sure it probably doesn't hold up very well. 
but none of those '80s shows hold up well. No. Uh, so in the movie, he's got like these little spheres that do basically whatever the story needs them to do. Yeah. And then in the TV show, they change it because in the movie, like once he uses, he's got like a handful of them. Once he uses one, they just disappear. But in the TV show, they only had like he had one, and then his son had one, and then like they didn't disappear. They could just use them for whatever their predicament was that episode. Okay. So <laughs> I found like this giant like ball bearing, those little silver sphere, and I used to carry it around with me. Like, oh, I'm like the fucking kid in Starman. I got my own sphere. And then I just throw it at shit, and it'd take care of it for me. <laughs> This will solve all my problems. Hey, bully. Whack. Oh, God. <laughs> See, it worked. He hit me. He hit me in the forehead with a steel ball bearing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I really liked it. I really liked, like, sort of the road trip aspect of it, too. Because they start off in Wisconsin, and he's got to get to Arizona within three days. Yeah. So there's lots of just... Lots of them driving. They don't, and they don't do the typical like they don't stop at like all the major cities along the way. They do make it to Vegas for a brief scene, but yeah, that's mostly just like a a humor scene to wake up all the people who like Noah who are bored. It's like so they just they're like, let's see what happens if this guy gambles. <laughs> Turns out he can magically control the gambling machines. Yeah, it's like it's like one little flip off, and he just taps it. <laughs> ding ding. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I also like the fact that, like, because you can you can tell he's just becoming human enough. Because as soon as he has a bunch of money, he just goes out and buys a Cadillac with it. <laughs> you know, why not? Sure, why not? That felt like a little a little like John Carpenter thing in this movie too. <laughs> the fact that he they driving around in like this old Mustang and then they upgraded the Cadillac. Like John Carpenter's a car guy, <laughs> so I think that's just one of his little isms that he stuck into this movie that. <laughs> doesn't follow most of the traditional John Carpenter tropes. I kind of appreciate the fact that they're driving in the uh, the Mustang through part of the movie, because typically in these movies, they do the same thing, where the car goes by, and all of a sudden the cars, the cops are like, oh my god, that is the random Lincoln that there are a billion of, of that yeah. color everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, at least in this one, they're like, oh my god, it's a, it's a bright orange Mustang with black stripes. <laughs> it does stand out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you guys notice in this movie? I mean, uh, just a funny little side point. It's really easy for Karen Allen to convince random strangers to commit acts of like criminal acts to just to distract <laughs> the police so they can get away. Yeah, <laughs> they do it funny. like a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> the, especially the guy at the blockade, which is like a super serious one. Yeah. Like, here, just toss this lit gas can off to the side, have it explode, and then run from the the federal cops that are then going to be after you. <laughs> just so that we can get away. I've known you for fifteen minutes now. You owe me this. <laughs> like I also like when she just when she's like looking for Starman, she just literally just yells in the middle of a diner, like, "I need someone to give me a ride," and that guy just leaves his meal, doesn't pay. <laughs> I'll do it because I got this cool car. I want to show off. Uh, so what do you think of the diner scene where he has to fight all the rednecks? Oh, there was like some serious car, uh, like 
John Carpenter hippie commentary going on there, right? Just the big old badass rednecks who think it's fun to kill things, and then Starman goes out and saves their deer, brings it back to life, and they beat him up for it. Yeah. I love the fact that he's given them a whole bunch of shit about the deer, and once they go into the diner the second time, he's getting eggs and shit. And it's like, hey, you were just you were just bitching about people eating animals. Well, you're you eating chicken fetus, man. I don't think eggs are exactly chicken fetuses. I don't know the probably not. This is probably not the place for a scientific debate. But technically, think, the eggs you eat are unfertilized eggs. Yeah. Okay. I still say you're gonna get all vegan on me, you fucking. Because I did notice he he eats a very vegetarian meal, besides the eggs. Um, and she orders like a burger. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would be awesome like, if they sat down to one and she hands him like a piece of steak and he's like, "This is the best thing I've ever had." She's like, "That's a cow. That's a cow, you piece of shit." <laughs> she just orders him venison to help him understand why they shot the thing outside. <laughs> see what you're eating. You see how good that tastes. That's why the deer is dead. Yeah. But I mean, the whole point there is, I think we're we're viewing it through 2018 goggles. Nobody in 1984 knew what the term vegan even meant. No. Um, so it's like I think the point there was that he's this super sensitive being that mm. we should all try to be more caring. And those guys were just, you know, your big dumb yeah. typical movie rednecks, which. Right. Hey, don't you be touching my deer that I shot with my gun. Yeah, oh, exactly. he's, he's foreign. Oh, no speak English, huh? There's yeah. Lots of yeah. Yeah, yeah, like they were, I mean, they were stereotypical bad redneck people from 80s movies. Yeah. To which then, yeah, they outrun, they, <laughs> they outrun, him, they outrun him by cutting off a bus and then the, all the rednecks just crash into the side of a bus. There's so many uh, of the, that moment in this movie too, where they just keep having the. Uh, there's like they just cause an accident by escaping, and it's just a big car accident pile up, and it's just like, oh, everyone back there is probably fine. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Nobody like any the, of those car accidents. I love the scene where he's driving and he blows through the intersection and uh, causes causes the big accident. And she's like, "You told me you were watching and that you knew the rules," and he goes, "I watched very closely." <laughs> Green light, go. Red light, stop. Yellow light, go really fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because it's like, that is kind of the rule. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Any, anything else about this movie? Like I think Karen Allen's performance is really good too. Like I, obviously it's overshadowed by Jeff Bridges because his performance is just amazing. Yeah, but at the but, beginning of that movie where she's like in that state of depression and she's just sitting at home, mm-hmm. like talking to herself and watching the home movies of her her deceased husband, it's like it's really powerful. And that shock on her face when she sees the uh, replicated body, it's like mm-hmm. you're just like. Yeah, like that. It's it's believable and it's a hard thing to pull off. Yeah, yeah. Because I was gonna say, I mean, at this point, we would have been used to her as, or at least from when I watched it, I would have been used to her as Marion from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Yeah. So to go from that, where she's a little bit more uh, upbeat, a little more, you know, kind of hammy, which fits into the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then you get to this, like like you said, the very beginning where she's just depressed and torn down and just, you know, miserable. Like you can feel it. Like it feels real, which I think is a really cool juxtaposition from her other performances. Yeah, it's sometimes that's how you know somebody's a really good actress or actor is when you've seen them do very different things on screen. And that was she's a prime example of that because most people only know her from Indiana Jones, right? Yeah. And Animal House, is that the other big thing she's known for? In my world, Starman, I don't know. Probably other things. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Same for the normies <laughs> out there. Yeah. Um, you're making me think, and I don't appreciate that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you should email this question in advance if you were going to ask, and then I'd know it. I'm pretty sure it's Animal House, but... Animal House and like Raiders were the two big things she was known for. Yeah. Now you made me call up her IMDb, so I'll scan it and see if there's something else. But Animal House, those things. Animal House, yeah, Karen Allen. Anyways, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Point is, like, she's really good in this movie. Um, yes. She because it's can't be easy to play opposite somebody behaving the way Jeff Bridges is behaving. Like, how do you react to that and make it seem natural? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she pulls it off. So I think like really kudos has to go to everybody in this movie. Like, cause how do you take what Jeff Bridges is doing and direct around that? How do you, how do you, you know what I mean? How do you, how, how does he pull off the performance he does? How do people react to it so well? Even like the, I forget the character's name, like the guy from SETI that is kind of following them throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's sort of, He's sort of the good guy in the government that's gonna be like, that's gonna he doesn't want to dissect him, he wants to like befriend him. Um I think that guy is a really cool little character. It's just it's yeah. a subdued performance. It, it's not something that's gonna draw a lot of your attention, but the way he's got that sort of Dr. Loomis thing going where he's chasing them down and mm. he's so excited the whole time at this opportunity to meet them, and he ends up enabling their escape which is a it's a big twist in the movie if it's your first time watching it you're expecting that he's the one that's going to be trying to stop them from leaving and instead he's the one that enables them so i think it works really yeah. well yeah, his performance is good he's very much more excited about the idea of discovery yeah. than wanting to yeah tear it apart and see what it is how it works what you could use it for to for your own advantage like that's definitely not what he's about and he very much hates that that's sort of how things are going <laughs> yeah and I, and I thought that was it was nice to have that there too because in 80s movies so often the government is just the big bad it's just that evil thing looming over and that's sometimes that's fine because it's shorthand for evil you just have government equals the empire kind of thing but it was nice to have a decent character on that side of it who was kind of showing that it was, you know, everybody kind of had their own goals. His goals were at least noble. Yeah, I agree. So it looks like there is a Blu-ray of this movie, but there is like zero special features, which is very disappointing. Oh, really? 
It just seems like there's a lot that you can do for special features for this movie. Surprising seeing how it's a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's difficult, though. Like, well, how would you do a what would you do a, a making of documentary where you're just like, it's just two hours of interviewing Jeff Bridges and trying to convince him not to break into that dude voice that he likes to do when he's being... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pretty much just become the dude at this point. Yep. He seems content in that role. <laughs> uh, I will also let you know that you can get the entire series of Starman, the TV show, for $25 on on DVD. Yeah. Don't think I didn't think about it. It wasn't going to get here for me to watch before this. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good idea, but... And I put it on my shelf beside my season one of MacGyver and my season one of the Dukes of Hazard that I never made it through. <laughs> my entire run of V the TV series. Ooh, that's a good one. No, it's not. <laughs> you don't like V? It, it does not hold up. Now the the miniseries holds up quite well. The original miniseries is extremely good, uh, despite being a made for television '80s TV series. But the actual weekly series not so much mm. I like all things me <laughs> yeah, except, for the, except for the remake it was not oh see I never I think I've seen bits and pieces of the original but I don't like I don't remember jack shit about it but then I was enjoying sort of the reboot and it got cancelled so we should put V the original miniseries on our list of things to watch because it it's a fun and interesting watch, and it's got a lot of like, you know, Michael Ironsides in it and Robert England's in it. So. I was gonna say Robert Robert England's character is so fucking good. He's so good in it, and it's so different from everything that Robert England is known for, especially since it came out like within, like it's like within months of A Nightmare on Elm Street, and he's playing this like kind of sweet innocent character in it. And it's, it's really cool to see that he was able to do that. Mm. That is so far off topic. Why do we go, keep going down these rabbit holes? Come with me. Come with me down the rabbit hole. Um, I would say, I, I'm assuming this is a big recommend from everybody. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a Carpenter film, so I mean, you really should watch it anyway. I mean, I would say it's a recommend if you're in the mood for a, uh, a kind of like slow-paced love story thing. Just go into it knowing that's what it is. Cause... Yeah, I mean it's not an action movie or anything. It's long. It's it's a it's a drama with an alien in it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, and I guess there's something to be said there. But I think it's like I think it's so good that if you're in the mood for an action movie and you put it on not knowing that you're getting a drama, I don't think you'll be disappointed even then. It's just. Th- I don't see how you can. I, I still like even you just said it's long again, and I'm, I started to get angry with you again. I'm like, it's, it's, I'm just like the whole time. I'm just like, no, I, I don't agree with that criticism of this. I think it, every moment of this film is good. Yeah, there's a bit of cheesy '80sness to it. Um, not the movie's fault that it was made in 1984, but I, I don't think I said there were any moments that were bad. I said it was long. <laughs> It that, is, is, that is fair. He, it, is, is it, is two, it is two hours long. It's a long movie. It's an hour 53. Now we're <laughs> <in there. laughs> 
You're like, if you skip the end credits, it shaves a whole two minutes off of it. Well, there's no post-credit sequence, so people can be relieved to know they don't have to sit through them. <laughs> Unless you're really curious who like the best boy was or the, the grip, then you don't have to worry about it. Uh, did anybody spot John Carpenter's cameo in this movie? Did not. Oh. Uh, towards the end, when the helicopters are flying, um, whoever like the general is the military guy yeah that's like wanting to cap- capture him or whatever uh he's like talking into a headset and then it cuts to like a helicopter pilot like you just see the side of his face oh, that's, okay. john, that's john carpenter you see his face like twice oh all right yeah. i had never noticed that and i've seen this movie lots of times i only noticed it because i was reading through the trivia and it said that he was in here so i was keeping an eye out and i'm like oh there he is that's it he's a pretty distinct looking individual he's if you're looking for him, you'll probably find him. Yeah, I mean, in this, he's got like the helmet on and like the aviator sunglasses, and you're looking at him from the side. So it's the mustache that sort of tips yeah. you off. It's the, it's yeah. the I, grew, I grew it in 1974, and I have never shaved any <laughs> mustache that he's got. Yep, pretty much. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod, or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, has anybody watched anything since last week? Oh, oh yeah. So what did you think, Noah? It's really good. It was a little uh, heavier than I was expecting it to be. <laughs> yeah. Which okay. I thought that was a little odd. That was an odd decision. And uh, I would say there's less of a few characters that I was excited to see <laughs> than I thought there was going to be. God damn it! I need to see this. I know you do. But but other than that, I th- I think it was smart, and I think despite the fact that they advertised the ever living shit out of it, I don't feel like they gave away the uh, the farm. Oh no! And there was a few surprises that I was not prepared for. No no no! <laughs> There's like you see like maybe like two minutes of story in the trailer. Which I know is like, well, yeah, because it's a two-minute trailer. But I mean, literally, they don't tell you anything about the story whatsoever other than Deadpool's in it, and he puts a team together. That is literally it. Well, and that there's the kid. Yeah. And Cable's trying to kill the kid. Sure. But I'm just saying, there's so much in this movie that you're like, well, I had no idea that was in this movie. And you're just like, yep. Did a good job. Nobody told anybody anything. There's... Uh, I'm not going to give away too much, but there's like a an appearance that I don't think most people knew was going to be in there, and they used a very simple outfit change to completely trick me into thinking it was somebody else. <laughs> and which, it was a deep cut. That that throwing me off was a deep cut. And normally I would think it was an accident, but just because they seemed to be so deep into the comic book shit. I'm pretty sure it was on purpose. (laughs) 
Yeah, you got to get on this, Doug. I know, I know. A lot of pressure. <laughs> and, and everybody's right about the after credit scene. That after credit scene is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you go, Doug, there's no like after after credit scene. There's like a mid credit scene. Okay. And then you can leave after that. That's good to know. And the mid credit scene's a lot longer than you think it is. Yes. It's like something happens and then it like cuts away to black and you're like, okay, movie over. And but then it goes back to it all of a sudden, then there's a whole bunch more. Yeah. Yeah. Have to be vague. Have to be vague for Doug since he hasn't seen it yet. Just take a day. Take a day, go see solo. Go see Deadpool 2. Oh, I've got my solo tickets. I don't know if I can manage to see Deadpool 2 on that same day or not. I, I might try. You can't. You just tell your girlfriend, like, oh, man, uh, so sick. Got so sick at, the, <laughs> at, at dinner. I better stay here in this bathroom for like two hours at the theater so as you don't get it. And then you go see it and go. I still, don't, I still don't understand why I'm not more excited for Solo. I should be more excited, but I just don't care. Well, it's because it's because it all the negative press surrounding the making of the film has led a collective assumption that the film must not be good. And what we're all forgetting is they remade a bunch of the film after all of the negative things you heard were over. So what we're going to be seeing is not the movie that had the terrible acting in it. It's not the movie that had too much of an Ace Ventura feel and all those other news reports. It's a Ron Howard Star Wars movie that's specifically made to oh my God. being that other thing. I don't, I don't know if that's true. If somebody would have told me it's Ace Ventura in the Star Wars universe, I'd have been like, alright, let's get <laughs> well, that was, <laughs> let's, that do, was, let's do this. That was some of the comments on the acting from what's-his-name that plays Young Han Solo was that it was very Ace Ventura-like, and that would be around the time that somebody at Lucasfilm showed up on set, politely asked the directors. It's like, it was like a like so political. Like, Could you guys tender your resignations so that we don't have to fire you publicly? Because that'd be nice. <laughs> we'll say creative differences. Everyone will know it's bullshit, but we'll say that, and then we can get somebody in here to fix this shit and try to make it, you know, usable. I'm kind of I'm kind of excited about the uh, the Boba Fett movie but oh see i feel like that's unnecessary i have to reserve that one until i see a trailer see i'd like the idea of a boba fett movie if it's done well um my concern is that they're going to spend too much time trying to make boba fett into a sympathetic character because they'll want him to be the hero of the movie mm-hmm. hollywood still doesn't understand that your protagonist doesn't have to be your hero they can be two different characters in those two roles. I was going to say, if, if they're going by the like the books, which I know they, they have erased all the continuity of the books, but in that, he's more of a, a Riddick-esque character. Yeah. Like, like, he's kind of a piece of shit, but he's so likable that you kind of get with him. And most of the stories involve him being a bounty hunter assassin piece of crap, but he's usually killing somebody who's really, really bad, so then okay. Well, I don't know if we just want to be the podcast that 
takes the moral stance that killing bad people is just just okay if they're really really bad. If you think <laughs> I don't think that killing bad people is okay. I think that making movies where you kill bad people is perfectly fine. Yeah, okay. Because it's pretend. Wait, you're telling me movies are pretend? That doesn't seem right. Oh, I had a, I had a big long argument with somebody the other day about exploitation films and the treatment of women and stuff, and like bad things happening in film where they're like, you're, you know, you can never put rape in a film, and I was like, well, that's silly. Like, it's not, they're not really raping the person in the movie, unless we're talking about Last Tangle in Paris, in which case. Then yeah. I have a fucking problem with it. Like, but other than that, it's pretend. You can pretend anything you want. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I kind of agree with that. Did you yeah. guys ever happen to see the movie Lightning Bug? And does not sound familiar. It is. Uh, I have not, but it's been on my list for a it's, while. It's like one of my favorites, and I forget the director's name. Uh, directed the the Chrome Skull movies, right? Yeah, yeah. And he was he was a big special effects guy before that. But there's anyways, there's a scene in that movie where there's like the kid, like the main character, he's a makeup effects guy. And so he, they, the the town has put him in charge of the local haunted house, and he's getting protested by the like church committee or whatever they're called. And there's just like this old redneck man, and he goes, "Yeah, you got to watch out for them." Uh, they don't seem to understand that this is all pretend. <laughs> and it's, it's a great moment where it's just like this guy who like, it's just like kind of come, kind of comes across as like dumb rednecky, but he kind of just has this moment of brilliance where you're like, yeah, apparently the religious people think the demons are real. So therefore they think you shouldn't draw them. But if they understood that they were made up, <laughs> they'd probably be okay with it all. Uh, does he work in uh, sexy bitches into that one? Not into the movie or into that scene? In, into the movie. Oh, in the movie, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yes, he does. Of course. <laughs> what a weird tag. What a weird movie signature for somebody. <laughs> like, I'm going to take this weird, dumb song and I'm going to put it in every fucking movie. <laughs> His character is singing it in Lightning Bug. <laughs> Sexy bitches are my favorite kind of bitches. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, oh my god, we got to watch Lightning Bug for this podcast because I haven't seen it in a while and I love it so much. But basically, in in Lightning Bug, there's the main character is like out on a date with this girl that he really likes, and his buddies are like following him, singing that to him. <laughs> He's like, "What the fuck? Leave me alone!" <laughs> and they're like, they "Keep singing it at him." <laughs> oh, I got to watch that movie again. Yeah, from my understanding, it's supposed to be like sort of semi autobiographical. Semi, yes. Yeah, Not, very, very semi. Very, very loosely based on his life. Basically, like, I think kind of the idea of growing up in a small town, wanting to be a Hollywood effects guy, and not being raised in an environment where that is uh, mm. encouraged. You know, kind of like where everyone in the in the movie, one of the things that is true to life and true to this movie is like they keep encouraging him to get a job at the chicken factory. I think that's what they all want him to go do. <laughs> And, and he's, he's like, like do, do they have sharp talons? He's like, <laughs> in the, in I guess in the real world, he actually did work at the chicken plant or whatever it's called. <laughs> it's like if you're like an artist who has the desire to create, you know, makeup and special effects for movies, and the talent that you're able to do it, it'd be really soul crushing to end up like taking care of chickens that are about to be killed for food. <laughs> uh. 
Anyways. Uh, uh, did you watch anything else, Noah? Uh, <laughs> other than that, I think I literally watched an episode and a half of Dexter, and then other than that, there's just been an, like an avalanche of shit I've got watched or done. Or... <laughs> my my, my lawn needs mode really bad. <laughs> yeah, just get goats. Where did my dog would eat the goat? <laughs> And then shit all over his cage. We are getting a cat next weekend. Ooh. Gonna be some fighting in the household. Yeah, we'll see what happens. No. There goes your Dexter rewatch. <laughs> Clean it up shit and blood every day when you get home from work. <laughs> Very encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be as helpful as I can. <laughs> what about you, Doug? You watch anything? Uh, I watched one thing, sort of as a, a follow-up to the movie I watched last week. I watched New Kids last week, um, so I watched a movie called Tough Turf this week because I have a I have a new kryptonite, which is people on Instagram see what I've posted and they tell me I should. Hey, if you like that one, watch this one. And now I'm like, fuck, now I gotta watch that. <laughs> Never <laughs> gonna make me. Nothing will ever come off my to watch list again. <laughs> Uh, so tough to have a big big change from uh, from last week 80s bully revenge movie but this time James Spader is the kid that gets bullied not the bully <laughs> um, and just for fun Robert Downey Jr. is the uh, is his buddy is, so, is uh, James Spader a menacing sex pest? not really no I find that hard to believe well I mean I'm sure off camera but he is a quality actor <laughs> So I really watched this because when I realized that it had James Spader and Robert Downey Jr. in it, I wanted them to fight in the movie, and then I, it could be the first ever fistfight between uh, Tony Stark and Ultron. But that didn't happen because it turns out they're buddies. Um, basic plot line is James Spader plays like a spoiled rich kid whose dad loses all his money, has to start going to the new high school with all the poor kids and the tougher kids. He has a little trouble fitting in. Ends up running afoul of a gang because he steals one of their girlfriends and things become violent from there. It's a pretty typical 80s plot. Most of the movie has a pretty typical 80s feel to it where it's a bit cheesy and kind of corny. Um, I'll have that big hair that just makes me laugh every time I watch an 80s movie. The thing this movie has going for it is every now and again there's a scene of violence that is just like oh, wait, I think they filmed that scene in the 70s and accidentally put it into this fun little 80s movie. Uh, the biggest example being when the gang first decides to go after James Spader's character, they literally like pin him down in like the locker room at the high school, I think it is, and they all have different like little bags that they put various items in. You know, it's kind of like the old like prison movies. You always see them put the soap in the sock and beat the guy with it. But they've got like the locks off their lockers tucked into their socks, and they're whipping them with them. And the way it's shot is like, he's laying shirtless, face down, and the camera is facing up at him. So you've got his facial expression and a center camera. And in the background, you can see them just beating him. And it is pretty difficult to watch. And that's a compliment coming from me. And I think that's really good thing so uh, I enjoyed that one again again if you're into 80s 
bully revenge type movies. It's another one I'd recommend. It's weird that I've watched two of them in two weeks and that they both start James Spader. But, no. Alright. Have you ever seen Less Than Zero? I have not seen Less Than Zero. Well, your homework is you have to watch Less Than Zero for next week. Joke's on you because you might force me to watch that, but it's technically on my to-watch list, so I actually will finally take a movie off my to-watch list instead of watching another random thing. Well, you can see in Robert... a revenge movie with uh, James Spader? (laughs) You can see in this movie if Robert Downey Jr. and James Spader get into a fight. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (sighs) I know it's based on a Brett Easton Ellis book, but I've never actually watched it. I've seen, like, pieces of it. I have also, like, apparently it's, yeah, it's, and it's not a kind of bully revenge type movie. It's more of a, hey, kids, uh, don't, don't do drugs or you'll end up sucking this guy's dick. Yeah. Um, but, Adam said, I have heard it's a really well done film, so if I get a chance, I'll try to watch it. Yeah. You just got to keep your James Spader, uh, Robert Downey Jr. possibly fighting before <laughs> Avengers. Uh, <laughs> That's I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Find a different movie every week. There's got to be a said, bunch of them. I imagine if you go down the list, there's probably a bunch. Of them both. As soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, I bet they, I think they were in Less Than Zero together. I wonder if they're going to fight there. I'll have to, to make Doug watch it and find out. <laughs> so, well, in the 80s, those two guys were in a lot of stuff, and they were about the same age. It makes sense that they would have been in things together. They sort of ran in the same circle of movies. <laughs> we'll find out. All right, yeah, exactly. I'm probably gonna forget and not watch it, but there's always a chance I'll watch it. <laughs> so, listeners, it's up to you to, to remind Doug on Instagram that he needs yeah, to watch it. Thank you. <laughs> Remember to send your odd gifts and stuff to the Midnight Drive-In on Instagram, and not to my personal one because I don't want to be flipping through pictures of my kid and come across whatever weird shit our listeners would send us. <laughs> Uh, do you watch anything else? Uh, no, that's it for me. Yeah, yeah. Listeners don't know this, but we've actually had a very shortened time period between the last episode and this episode, and it's all Deadpool's fault. Yeah, and I haven't seen that movie yet, so <laughs> so don't blame it on me. Because <laughs> um, I didn't really get to watch any movies, but um, I have been watching uh, Altered Carbon. On Netflix? Yeah. Okay. Uh, is either one? Uh, obviously, it sounds like Noah's watched it. That, that there is some good uh, sci-fi. Have you watched it yet, Doug? No, I haven't. I saw the first like five minutes because Netflix sometimes auto starts things for you, mm. and I thought, okay, I should probably watch this, but then I then it never did. Yeah, I'm like six episodes in. Uh, it's got Joel McKinnon, who I'm a big fan of. And he's sort of futuristic, uh, sort of a futuristic private investigator, not of his own volition, because we're in a future where essentially your consciousness is held in this little disc in your spine. And if your body dies, you can just have it put into another body and keep living. Cool. And so this guy is like a big badass he ends up getting uh shot up by whatever the futuristic sort of military police is and is then in prison in alcatraz for like 250 years 
which basically means you're just taken offline and put on a shelf. And then uh, Super Rich Guy, played by uh, James Purefoy from uh, The Following. And I think he's in that Happen Leonard show, but I haven't watched it yet. Uh, is super rich and gets him out of prison and put into this essentially like a Captain America type body, uh, which is represented by Joel McKinnon and uh, comes preloaded with like, you know, army training and like all this other stuff on top of already being a badass. And he hires him to investigate a murder and he asks, well, which murder is that? And he says his murder because somebody killed him. But I, don't know, I guess if you're super rich, you can own a satellite which uploads your consciousness and stores it like every 48 hours or something. And somebody killed him 10 minutes before he was about to uh, be uploaded again. And so he like lost like two days worth of consciousness so he doesn't know who killed him why they why they killed him so this guy is sort of like uh involuntarily taken out of prison to investigate sort of who killed him trying to figure out why he ends up staying at this hotel that is a Edgar Allan Poe themed hotel uh it feels like this takes place like in the same world as like Blade Runner 2049 just like that same futuristic kind of sci-fi world. And apparently there are hotels that are run strictly by AI, but they're kind of looked upon as nowadays you would look at like a, a charge by the hour hotel. And so like nobody ever stays in them because they all think they're gross. But, you know, he doesn't give a fuck. He just got out of prison and he's just like, I don't even really want to be here. I don't even want to be like doing this job or whatever. And so he starts staying at this hotel. So he has a virtual Edgar Allan Poe as like his little sidekick that can't leave the hotel. Um, so he just like does a bunch of stuff for him. I just feel like it's a really interesting sort of scenario. It's very sci-fi noirish, which is good. And uh, yeah, I'm just loving, loving it so far. Like I said, I think I'm six or seven episodes in. So I only got like three or four more to go. But big fan so far. It sounds like yeah. Noah enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I really like it. I like the idea of it because the whole thing is, is the super soldier thing that he is. They were basically like a terrorist organization fighting against what they perceived as a future where these uh, super rich oligarch type characters were going to basically take everything over and the world was going to be all shitty. And then he wakes up in the future, and of course, it is that future. That's exactly what happened. The horrible oligarch people took over, and now he's working for them. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's definitely worth a watch if you're into, like I said, sci-fi noir type stuff. And cinematography is pretty good. And I had somebody, because like I, I got like filmmaker groups on Facebook, and uh, there's one of somebody who's like, Somebody give me a good example of like a Netflix show with good cinematography, and I immediately said like, "Oh yeah, Altered Carbon." Like that's, I feel like the the visuals in that are just mind blowing sometimes. Uh, and there's an episode, a couple episodes where Matt Frewer shows up playing a, uh, 
a guy who essentially runs like uh uh like an arena oh yeah like, he's he's another ai yeah he he shows up running this like arena so sort of like lionheart style except you can show up and put your consciousness into uh other random bodies and then go and just fight to the death that's kind of a fucked up scenario it's just interesting how it sort of portrays that like death doesn't really matter anymore because you just get a new body um there is scenarios of course that if they destroy it they they call the little disc here the the stack and so like if that gets destroyed obviously it's like they call it final death like you're there's no coming back from it so it's interesting to just watch some of those scenarios play out. Yeah. How that works and everything. There's a really cool thing where in one of the first episodes you see this big tattooed guy getting arrested. And then throughout the series that his body keeps coming back over and over and over again. But it's being <laughs> used by different people. Yeah. So it's kind of odd. And they never really explain it to you. Like at one point it's his like police friend's mom that's in the body which is <laughs> fantastic yeah it's just it's it's really random yeah good show I've been um, been wanting to watch it but I was kind of holding off just because I had other shit to watch and then I was like bored one night and I didn't really have anything interesting on the DVR so I was like hey, I'll just start watching this and now I just want to sit and watch it all like straight through but don't have time Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Uh, so next week, we decided that this week was too cheery. So we had to, to bring it down a little bit. So we're going to be talking about two uh, quasi-revenge movies. Uh, and they're both color-themed. So we're going to be talking about Blue Ruin. And then Jack Ketchum's Red, starring Brian Cox. Uh, laugh a minute movies. Just uh, <laughs> you're gonna feel great by the end of it. Uh, very downbeat, downbeat movies. So it's gonna be interesting next week. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard thing to get excited for. I know, right? But it sucks because they're both like really good movies. But then by the end, you're just like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, that's. I think we're going to find that next week it's really well-made movies, but not designed to cheer anyone up ever. So. No. Should be interesting. I mean, this is, there are worse combinations. We could be like, I spit on your grave <laughs> and last house on the left. <laughs> that's true. Oh, I, I need some stronger exfoliants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not that bad. It's just more of like an overall tone for the for these movies is just. Uh, it's the bleak, the bleakness that we're going to be looking into next week. Yes, and the the sort of the hopelessness and the the theme of a complete and utter lack of justice in the world, and the fact that not only did you say not get any, but there might not be. A chance to get any ever, no matter what you do. That's a good way to put it. <sighs> so yeah, 
cheer yourself up and get ready. <laughs> That's happening next week. <laughs> Noah's going to show up going, what the fuck, guys? At least a dog gets killed in one of them. I, I mean, the good news is I, I, I love revenge movies. <laughs> One of them is Brian Cox getting revenge. That's pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. I love Brian Cox. <laughs> oh my god! I was on the internet earlier, scrolling through while I was watching one of the movies for a second, and somebody posted the uh, the movie poster for fucking Mario Van Peebles in Solo. Do you guys remember that movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I lost. I lost my shit. I was like, oh my god, that was a thing. I remember that thing happening. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a fucking horrible movie. It's really bad. Well, we're not doing it on the show. I don't care what Noah says. The fuck fuck if we aren't. Mario Van Peebles week. Yeah. I'll let you guys know which week I'm taking off, and you guys can do it then. (laughs) It's going to be right after Jamie Kennedy month. Yeah. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Goodnight.